2: Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, and along with my co-host and partner, Jack Humphrey, we are the co-founders of TheLeveragist.com and Divizio.com, that's D-U-V-I-S-I-O.com, the all-new Ultimate Leveraging Platform and we have a fantastic show lined up for you guys today, don't we, Jack?
1: Absolutely. Hi. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm actually really excited. This uh, our guest today sounds really really awesome. Her name is Lisa Peskin, and she is the co-founder or the co-founder. Everybody's a co-founder. She's the founder <laughs> and CEO of Business Development University or BDU. A sales and sales management training, coaching, and consulting firm, BDU focuses on helping individuals and companies grow their revenue by significantly increasing their sales with a customized, comprehensive approach to business development. Lisa has over 30 years' experience in sales performance and management, and she's helped thousands of selling and non-selling professionals dramatically improve their business development efforts and results through training, just-in-time support, and programs designed to maximize opportunities and drive ROI. Lisa, welcome to Leverage Masters.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today.
1: Well, Gina actually called me. And this is kind of weird because she never just, you know, usually our guest prep and everything doesn't require a phone call ahead of time. for some reason today, Gina wanted to tell me some background on you. And I know that uh, you, you gave us a little bit there in our intro, but I think people need to know a little bit more about you. We're going to find out a lot more about you. <laughs> but I think that your intro is only the tip of the iceberg. I just have that sense based on what Gina shared with me. So we'll start you out like all the mere mortals that we have on the show every single week. And in the same way, ask you what it is that's burning in your belly right now, getting you up out of bed every day, excited to greet the day either business or personal or both?
0: Well, I love that question, and I think about it a lot. And as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that what makes the most difference is making a difference in somebody else's life, whether it's helping them to be more successful in sales or helping them in helping their direct reports be more successful in sales, or the companies that I work with, helping them drive their revenues. I originally wanted to be a doctor. Then I wanted to be a psychologist. And now I feel like the way we're making an impact in people's lives is just helping them to be more successful in sales and business development.
1: Nice. Nice. Well, that is actually one of our big things. Uh, Gina and I really love talking to uh, and working with and partnering with sometimes folks who are, you know, doing the B Corp type thing, doing the service thing, and that people like you come on and just immediately start talking about the service side of what you do is kind of like what we attract. I don't know why that is, (laughs) but it's like 100% across the board, the type of people we love to interview, we love to work with, because that's so important, and maybe that has to do with age uh, because we but in experience and things like that, but it also you know seems to uh, be the the mantra or the kind of modus operandi that uh, the millennials and everybody talk about now is really business just isn't worth it unless it's also doing something good to help people to help the world, and people are wearing that on their sleeve nowadays rather than page six of their website in fine print that uh, 1% goes to some charity or something. People really know to put that and really love, I think, putting that out there, just like you did and so many people do. So uh, I wanted to ask you just to get into this and give you people a little bit bigger perspective about what you do, the kinds of companies you work with. So could you talk a little bit about that and give people an idea of the kinds of companies you work with, consult with, help out? Um, and and a little bit more detail on that. I think people are going to be excited about this.
0: Well, thank you. And I, I would love to talk about first, you know, when I talk about helping, certainly charity work is wonderful. But what I've realized after 31 years in sales is that nobody out there likes to be sold anything. And I think everybody's got to stop trying to sell their stuff. I think it's all hmm. about figuring out a way you could help, whether it's an individual, a company, a team, a division, with your product or service. And if you can help them, the sale's going to happen. And if you can't, then it's not the right fit. And I find um, with so many people that I work that they're really – having trouble figuring out how not to sell, figure out truly how to help out. And, you know, it's that whole consultative selling approach that um, I think it is so critical because I I believe trust, honesty, integrity are the most important part of any business or personal relationship. And there are a lot of sales methodologies out there that um, have different tricks and, what I find is it's not always authentic. And I remember being in a sales training one day and the instructor said, and this is where you sigh. I don't believe that anybody should be ever <laughs> telling anybody where that they should be sighing. So when it comes to sales, I really think that success in sales comes from three different areas. One is, am I doing the necessary activities to fill my pipeline with good, qualified prospects on a consistent basis? That consists of keeping our existing client base and getting repeat business, upselling and cross-selling, and getting net new business coming in the door. So that's one quarter. The next quarter is process. So once you've got a suspect or prospect sitting in front of you, what's the process that you take them through? How do you uncover key information? How do you run an appointment? How do you present your ideas and solutions? How do you handle objections? How do you close? And we know how someone's doing there by their close ratios. And then the last piece of it is attitude and motivation. And do I am I willing to do what it takes to be successful, and am I committed to to doing that day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out? And do I have a game plan, or am I just winging it every day? So when you ask what what we do, uh, I'd love to get into that before I, I talk about who we're able to help out. But what we do is we help companies figure out either on an individual basis or on a team basis what their triage areas are. And I define the triage areas are as what three areas that, if improved upon, will have the biggest impact on performance because you can't necessarily change 10 things about somebody, or even a team for that matter. But what I learned in, I, I was in ADP automatic added processing for 12 years. And when I left there, I was actually managing the managers who had associates underneath them. And what I taught them, and what they taught me is, if we can figure out those three areas that are gonna have the biggest impact on performance, then we could figure out whether it's a training issue, a coaching issue, and then close the gap. So I started my company in two thousand three and my passion is figuring out what those areas are in an individual or a team and then putting together training or coaching or follow up programs to help close the gaps. Because then if we start working on those areas and get and close the gaps we could truly impact the numbers.
1: Awesome, that's really cool. That sounds like, uh, and you started that long enough ago that you probably have a case study or two, or some people that you've helped in the past. I mean, insofar as it helped a company, maybe this would be a way to go: uh, a company that you really appreciated their their mission outside of profits and everything else uh that that you were like wow i'm really glad i got to work with this company because they they really have a cool mission as well as now they're much more successful in the in the working with me and that we got through those three triage situations we we closed the gap are there any companies that just stick out in your mind over the years that you just loved working with and maybe are still working with
0: there are and I I did want to get to the types that we work with and and help out because we truly are what we call industry agnostic, although we're mostly working with business-to-business sales. The the exceptions would be financial institutions, banks, credit unions, financial advisors, but for the most part, we're working with business-to-business sales, we're typically working our sweet spot is companies with anywhere from five to ten million dollars in revenue up to a hundred, hundred and fifty million dollars in revenue. With anywhere from a handful of sales associates or even one for that matter, all the way up to hundreds. And We do a lot in the manufacturing space, in the tech space, in the professional services space, and we also work with a lot of non-selling professionals, lawyers, accountants, architects, engineers, entrepreneurs, consultants who are more challenged because they're not only responsible for business development, but they're also responsible for fulfillment, but If I may, I'd love to give you an example of this triage because it really will give you a a good idea as far as um, the impact that we could have on the company. And that's, you know, what truly drives us. It's all about the numbers. So Mm -hmm. I get a call from a bought-out another company in St. Louis, but the company was local. And he says, I've got a nine-year rep, and she doesn't know how to close. I'd like to send her to your two-day sales training. Well, my dad always said, you got to put your head on the pillow at the end of the day. So I said to the guy, what are you going to schlep her all the way here to Philadelphia? Let me just talk to her for an hour, and let me see if I could figure out, whether it's worthwhile to send her all the way here to Philadelphia. After an hour, it was perfectly clear what was going on. And her three triage areas were the following. One, all her next steps were loosey-goosey. So if they said, I'm making a decision next week, she said, I'll call you next week, and they never pick up the phone. So I taught her, always set the next step at the current step because it saves yourself a step. So she put a little, no loosey-goosey on her computer. Number two, she was going right into presentation mode. She had telemarketers set up the appointments, and she was going right into presentation mode before she found out any information about the prospects or what they cared about or was able to quantify in the ROI. So I taught her to ask some more questions on the front end. Lastly... Everyone was telling her solution, her, her solution was too much money. Her solution was $18,000 for a database of physicians, and they were selling it to hospitals. And everybody she talked to said, I am not spending $18,000 on a database. So I taught her how to quantify the solution, which is ask, how many openings do you have for how how many months? Because one opening in a hospital for one physician is $100,000 in lost revenue. So if they had two openings for two months, that's $400,000 of lost revenue. Now if you go present an $18,000 solution in the context of a $400,000 problem, it becomes a no-brainer. I started working with her January of 2015, she finished number 1 in the quarter for the first two quarters of 2015 hit her annual number that august and by the next year completely doubled her revenue and it was three minor tweaks and wow. that's just a uh, that's just indicative there's a lot of cookie cutter approaches out there and what we believe I used to believe you could cookie cutter, everybody. In fact, I wanted everybody to be little Lisa Peskin, have my same work ethic, do things the way I did it, have my same motivations to be number one and get that plaque at the end of the month. But what I realized is not everybody cares about that. Everybody is different. They have individual strengths. They have areas of opportunity. And if you can figure out those three areas that impact the performance the most, Now you can drive the numbers.
1: Wow. You have to wonder how many uh, people have had the cookie-cutter experience. I guess you don't have to wonder. You probably get that story pretty quickly. We've tried everything, and now we're coming to you. And then they they must be surprised how much you – care about their particular situation and ask them pointed questions about what's really going on with them after having such an experience probably with two or three other people sometimes.
0: Well, the only way that we're going to be able to impact the companies that we work with is to drive the number. And the one thing I wish I had that I have none of, and if any of the listeners have any, please get in touch with me, but it's pixie dust. You know, I wish I could sometimes sprinkle pixie dust. And so we we can tell them what it's going to take to be successful, but then they've got to do the heavy lifting. And for some companies that don't have a sales manager, one of the services that we provide is outsource sales management. So what we do is we work with the sales associates directly on a weekly or biweekly basis And we do the pipeline review, the goal setting, the review against goals, figuring out what they need to do as far as triage areas, help them develop smart goals. And then we hold them accountable to that on a weekly basis and then report into the ownership. Because what we find is a lot of small businesses, it starts by the owner or the founder being the main business development person. And then it grows to the point where they're ready to hire their first salesperson. And so many companies fail with their first salespeople because the owner or the founder doesn't necessarily have the time to work and develop that sales associate. And oftentimes they're expecting results quicker than it is realistic. So we're big believers in figuring out what the 30, 60, 90 day game plan should be, and so many sales associates ring it out there. We have a methodology that within an hour we could put together anybody's 30 sixty, 90 day game plan with smart goals, both activity and result goals that get to get measured and modified based upon results.
1: Nice. Well, that's got to be a relief to people. I mean, it's, you know, you I keep thinking as you're talking, you are so many companies leverage. That's, you are the definition of leverage for them to bring you in and actually get them results in a fairly quick process, even though, you know, some people have too high expectations of how quickly things can happen. A couple of things that you've mentioned already can be fairly quick to turn around and get people on the right track. Uh, and, I mean, your you, your company is leverage, basically.
0: Well, it really is, and, and it's all about impacting the results. That's, why, that's the way we get measured. Are we driving sales? Are we driving results? And I'm a numbers girl. So I understand that when I'm looking at anybody's numbers, I need to take the total number, then I need to figure out how much is going to be repeat business, figure out what we could upsell and cross-sell, and then how much net new business we need to come in with, and then figure out what the game plan is based upon how many home runs, triples, doubles, and singles we need to get in order to hit our numbers. And then working the numbers backwards, reverse engineering to determine how many proposals I need out there how many net new appointments I need on a regular basis in order to hit my numbers because no matter what business you're in, it is all a numbers game
1: yeah it's a numbers game that's become also a, a quant or a, it's a quantified thing, but it's also a qualitative thing now in terms of how uh, people in in a lot of industries, now and can go completely extreme to storytellers themselves, like bloggers, um, publishers, authors, uh, coaches, and consultants sometimes are picking up on this. But in your world, how much does the qualitative stuff that we just barely touched on at the beginning come into play when you're talking to sales teams? And um, Because I, I think maybe people, maybe I would be surprised to hear how far that might have developed by now. But y- you know through story not well you mentioned the woman who was just going straight into her presentation very very matter of fact and i've seen and heard about that so often it's just it's a comfort zone people use powerpoint as a crutch or whatever their you know presentation is and um it feels safe there and uh but story is such a big deal people want to know more about the companies they work with i wonder how much that's from a b2c perspective and a b2b perspective is that also something you're noticing out there Um, do you work with people about you know story and brand and things like that and in the effect of getting more sales or getting the attention of the right people the right kind of leads with a story
0: absolutely so yes there's a numbers game and when I look at an organization I look at the five rights and I even wrote a blog on this I look at does a company have the right number of the right people doing the right number of the right things right? So they might not have enough people. They might have the wrong people. They might not be doing enough activities. They might be doing the wrong activities. Or they might be doing the right activities wrong. And that's what you're talking about. You're also talking about the relationships and how important that is. Back in my ADP days, we dialed for dollars. I remember we would run two two two-hour blitzes where we would just cold call 50 companies just on the spot. And then we had to knock on 25 doors every single week. And there was a lot of that. But the fact of the matter is now when people analyze their business, and I have a tool called the Source of Business Analysis, when we develop game plans, we got to look at where the business has come from and where are our best sources of business. And the fact of the matter is nowadays it's relationships with your existing customer base as well as your centers of influence that are giving you warm referrals and that you close that business. Over seventy percent of my business is from either my clients referring me to other people that I could help out or key centers of influence saying, Hey, you gotta work with Lisa or you gotta work with BDU I mean it's the smartest way for us to develop these relationships. So When we're talking about leverage, we could talk about it in so many different veins, but have we developed a network of people that we're referring business to on a consistent basis and that they feel comfortable referring us? Understanding that every time we get a referral, people are spending their relationship capital, and we not only need to keep that capital in place, but better yet, we need to create a surplus. So I always say I'm never going to try to sell anybody you refer me to. I'll have a conversation with them. If I can figure out a way to help them out, great. And if I can't figure out a way to help them out, I'm going to be the first one to let them know. Because the last thing I want to do is sell them anything, and I want them to come back to you and say, wow, thanks so much for the introduction to Lisa Peskin. She's awesome. So those relationships are really important. And then the last thing is, What you're talking about is process. So once we do have that prospective client in front of us, what is the relationship that we take them through and the process that we take them through? And I talk about people developing their story. If someone said, tell me a little bit about yourself, what would you say, and is it purposeful? Because actually purposeful is one of my very favorite words when it comes to sales and business development. So many people do activity for activity's sake, but are they purposeful? And do they get as much out of the activities that they could possibly get out of it?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that just dovetails perfectly with your, with your statement right at the top about um, asking questions you know that that relationship begins with other people stepping toward you I would imagine that that's a more comfortable uh position to have in sales in general if you can get it as opposed to the dialing for dollars and all of the you know hard toil that you had gone through to know what that that world is like and to have that experience and you know, banging on doors, I did that for Greenpeace many, many, many lifetimes ago. Wow. And that was really hard stuff. It was the hardest way to sell anything um, I'd have ever experienced. And I think I learned a lot from that. Um, you know, I recall it quite often and go, wow, I, I know what the worst thing to do is as I've done it. So there's got to be a better way. Why can't I just talk to people? In fact, that wasn't as hard as it could have been because I had uh, an ex. I just started to do it the way, against what my trainers were telling me I needed to do uh, to get the really big checks, to get the really big donations. Uh, I I, I failed at that so much. And I'm like, if I'm going to keep this going, I'm going to have to try something different. I'm going to have to do what I do. And I don't even know if this is the right thing, but I'm just going to start talking to people. I'd have longer conversations. I'd knock on fewer doors, but I'd come out with a lot more checks, a lot bigger Checks. And people were like, wait, you didn't finish your territory. And so I had a numbers person always watching over what we do out in the field. And the numbers person, it's like they didn't even see how much money I had brought back that day. They were just concerned that I had burnt the turf, which is a a term that they use, when you didn't cover, uh, you didn't knock on as many doors. And I'm like, but look at all the checks. And Maybe we could rejigger this turf so that it's two turfs because this thing's rich. I'll go back there tomorrow, and I'll pull out just as much, and I might be able to get three or four more, and so I started finding myself in a situation with no sales experience whatsoever. I was a telecommunications graduate, uh, at, you know, just fresh in the world, and I, I was telling people there, you know, we just need to talk to people, and they were like, no, 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 we have a system, and even though you brought in more money than anybody ever has out of that turf, I'm, I'm more mad at you for not going and knocking on more doors than that. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is really weird. But it is fun to be like you are certainly one of those trailblazers. I'm sure when you come in the room, people think that they know who you are by your title and your, and, um, and the kind of company that you are and everything and how people might have introduced you very quickly. And then started talking to you in a way that would be commensurate with that understanding. And then you must blow their minds when you start actually talking and telling them what it is you really do and how effective you are and why you're effective. Because it seems like you break molds everywhere you go. Is that kind of how your life is?
0: (laughs) that's, That's very kind of you. And that's certainly my goal. And, it's something that we strive to do with all of our individual clients. It's all about creating those aha moments. Um, how many times have we been to a training session where we walk out and we're all excited about, you know, taking and implementing some of the practices that we learned. But without the proper reinforcement, we almost snap back to doing it exactly the way we did it before. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, how many times do we go to a training session and we hate being there and it's, you know, no – information that's new we're not creating those aha moments and if we're not inspired to do it we're not going to do it not everything works for everybody not everything works in every situation and I do believe in a multi-pronged approach and although I said the best way for us to get new business coming in the door is through referrals I do believe that companies also need to do some prospecting. I don't believe they need to do cold calling, but I do believe they need to do some prospecting. And I do believe nowadays, because of the fact that there's the Internet, that it's a lot harder for pe- to get in touch with people, we've got to go at it in a multi-pronged approach. So we've got to include the phone calls, the emails, the dropping off, the networking, the centers of influence, the associations, the LinkedIn and we've got to go at it in multiple different directions because oftentimes it takes seven to ten touches to get into a company so you need to be smart about it you need to be methodical but you know what what I heard when you were talking about your story is that your not only was your close ratio higher you didn't need to hit as many doors in order to get as many contributions. The second thing is your average contribution was higher, and that's the way salespeople could take a look at it. If I go after some bigger opportunities, I need less of them. If I have a higher close ratio, well, then I don't need quite as many prospects. So constantly figuring out how to help a company, we've got to understand things like, what does the close ratio look like? What percentage of the business is net new business? How much net new business do you need? What's the average sale and so on and so forth? Because it needs to work on a piece of paper before it can even work in reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a lot more intuitive, um, uh, the allowance for intuitive um, selling, you know. And some people aren't good at that, though. I mean, what do you do with people who are, are the, t- the typical – who is the best, actually, in your opinion, and all the experience that you have? What kind of salesperson is really the best, the kind that religiously follows a template? Because if the template's really good, maybe – Maybe that's good and maybe they'll be really good at it. Or people who are a little bit more loose and, and kind of fail under a system of you have to do it this way and you've got a sigh right here. Who's better? Or is there some kind of an amalgam that you like to work with of, of, of talent, raw talent that you like to see in a sales team?
0: So I'm currently writing a book on the top 10 secrets of success in sales. The other title could be what I wish they told me in 1986 when I started in sales, because I (laughs) feel like I had to learn everything on my own and make so many mistakes. And I learned from my mistakes, but I think that there are certain fundamentals and I do believe in fundamentals. I believe everything comes down to the blocking and tackling. And there's certain things that I realize along the way that I don't even think about. Whether it be, where do I position myself when I'm brought into a boardroom? What chair do I take? Or how do I transition from the building of the rapport to actually confirming time, setting an agenda, getting confirmation to the agenda? How do I understand what are the key questions that I need to be able to ask in order to give myself the highest probability of doing business with this company? So there are a lot of key fundamentals. However, I don't believe it's got to be scripted, and I don't believe that everybody's going to do it in the exact same way. So just like a diet, if you know that you need to have a certain amount of protein, a certain amount of carbs, a certain amount of fruit and vegetables, X amount of water, but you have the basic fundamentals, but you don't necessarily say, well, you gotta eat chicken or pork or whatever. So the key thing is is really the customized approach. Understanding what the industry is all about, what the business breakdown looks like, what's working for them and not working for them, and then developing game plans accordingly and making sure that everybody's got some key fundamentals. So we do a public two-day sales class that's basically I've taken a five-day class and consolidated two that has everything soup to nuts, from prospecting to networking to leveraging your existing clients to running effective first meetings to discovery to presentation skills, objection handling, closing, and then developing game plans. So... If you ask, should everybody be scripted totally, no. I think it's got to be natural. I think it needs to be authentic, and I think it needs to be customized.
1: Awesome. I like that answer because I feel like I would be able to succeed with you. (laughs) You know, anytime I come into a super scripted environment of any kind, I still have flashbacks to the way they tried to get me to do it and And I failed, and I had to feel bad, but it was their mistake for trying to cram a square peg into a round hole <laughs> but I still felt bad yeah. I was like, wow, man, so that's cool I mean you're going to be able to work with a lot more people, you can have a more diverse sales team you can work yeah. with diverse sales teams, and nobody has to feel bad that their style is one way, and you know as long as it works right and and it seems like exactly. you've work with enough people, you know how to get you know how to get out of all the personality types, all the sales uh, types probably what's still required of them. They've got to sell, and their numbers have to be up and all that stuff. But being able to look at the room and say, ah, I know how you work. Here's how you ought to do it. That's got to make you incredibly valuable to businesses that you're doing that for.
0: Well, you know what? It's 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 fun as well. So one of my, um, you know, things that makes me chuckle is a woman that I worked with in a bank and she had multiple responsibilities, but one of them being business development. She doesn't have that much time to focus on business development, but her bank did provide goals as far as how many you know um, new loans that they needed to bring in and so on and so forth. And when we looked at where she was getting her business, we found she was really great at unsolicited referrals, meaning that Everybody was giving her referrals, but she never was in the comfort zone of asking. And I remember one day I was talking about how she might get the words out of her mouth and feel comfortable about asking. And she stopped me and said, Lisa, you're giving me hives. I need to stop. I said, <laughs> okay, let's, let's hold off right now. But here are a couple of different ways you might be able to do it. And, I got a call late one Friday afternoon, and she was driving, and she said, Lisa, you're going to be so proud of me. I said, what? She goes, I asked for a referral, and I got it. And she got, where she got was getting comfortable in saying the words, but saying the words that it would be comfortable for her and I think that that's really important again going back to being authentic and really figuring out if you could help somebody else out and I always use the example of my um, Jewish mother from the Bronx and she worked in a store um, called 16s 18s and 20s and she was she was a crack up. She was like a Joan Rivers type character, and people would come out of the dressing room. and She'd go, doll, that outfit does not look good on you, doll. You need to go try on the pink outfit. The pink outfit's going to be much better. And then people would come out. She'd come out with the pink outfit on. She goes, doll, you look adorable. That's the perfect outfit for you. And I know my New York accent is god awful, but my point: Better than is, mine. <laughs> we really need to. if we could help people out or help companies out, great, but if we can't, I'm going to be the first one to let them know because it's going to waste their time and my time, and I always tell them they've got to do the heavy lifting. And at ADP, I learned when someone wasn't performing at the level that I wanted to, them to, I'd look at three things: willing, committed, able. I could teach them how to do it. I was never worried about ABLE. But if they weren't willing to do it and committed to doing it, well, then all bets are off. And the other thing that I think is really important for everybody to think about is this is not just working with people that are underperforming. Because I always said as a sales management manager, your job is to maximize the performance and the potential of each of your direct reports. So the way I look at it is, if someone's underperforming, how do we get them to hit their numbers? If they're average, how do we get them to be good? If they're good, how do we get them to be great? And if they're great, how do we get them to be superstars? And quite honestly, you can get a lot more out of your top performers than you can out of your bottom performers, although a lot of people think the opposite. I remember specifically a guy working for me, And his name was Dunkle. And he was 168% of quota. And oftentimes he'd come out of my one-on-one sessions with his head between his legs. And he's like, what's pesking all over my case for? I'm 168% of quota. But Dunkle was missing an opportunity to get more client referrals. And I said, Dunkle, I think I can get you to 200% of quota. And he goes, I'm in. And we focused on that one area. And by the time he was done, he was 200% of quota. And now he's probably one of the top sales reps over at ADP. He's doing amazing. But it's really, that's what it's all about, maximizing the performance and potential. And it goes back to where we started today, uncovering what those triage areas are. So oftentimes when I start working with a company, I have – I am assigned by the CEO or sales manager to triage the individuals on the team. And within an hour, I can get back to them and tell them what exactly those three areas that if improved upon are going to have the biggest impact on performance. It can be done on a team level or it can be done on an individual level. And then a company can decide whether they want to put together the training programs and developments to close the gaps or they want our help in trying to close those gaps.
1: That's awesome. I was just thinking we probably need a little c- recap. We cover, we're we covering a lot of stuff here today. And a couple of things that stuck out to me so far, there's two, big, there's two of them are, are really sticking out as big leverage items. You mentioned one at the top is referrals, and I assume that that's one of your biggest leverage points that you enjoy uh, quite a bit in your business because it takes an awful lot of pressure off of any company to have to go out and generate leads. I mean, that's just a giant, giant marketing undertaking. And if you get that referral thing locked in, that's a big, big leverage tactic. But I also noticed that you have a really big abundance mindset. And and, and a lot of business people need to hear this because uh, you are you've said more than twice that you would turn people away if it's not a match. And one of the things that I kept hearing underneath that was you're not going to be super effective for them because you won't be excited to be working with it if it's not a match. And I see so many business people putting themselves in that situation. It's like, "Ah, I don't have enough confidence to do and put my foot down and say, this is the client I want, and everything else be damned because maybe money's tight, maybe some goals have not been met, and we've just got to bring in whatever and they start to compromise and take people on that they know deep down they're not going to be excited to work with, and that passion is what makes them great. I think I can tell from your voice from the story that you've told so far that your passion is a huge reason why you're so successful and why you're, you can train people to be successful themselves. But if, if you were in a job, if you took on a client – in a situation that you weren't you were just taking because for whatever reason but it was outside your area that we'd normally turn down do you think you'd be less effective for them you couldn't fake this passion that you have when you're in the right spot when you're in their sweet spot or could you
0: Well, that's a great question, and you brought up a a bunch of different points, so I'm just going to quickly address them all. Um, First of all, as far as passion, my dad, who was my hero, and in fact yesterday would have been his 91st birthday, passed away after being a double amputee with 151 days in the hospital, 20 operations to remove a piece of his toe, the rest of his toe, and the rest of his foot. And the man was so incredible, he never complained a moment in his life. But he gave me three pieces of advice as a little girl. One is to follow your passion. Two is, if you can, be your own boss. And three, don't count on your husband for your money and it's it's not that money drives me but i understand that life is expensive i have two kids in college right now but mm. i think it is i think it is all about finding your passion and just going back to your very first question today what gets me out of bed every day what what it's not about making x amount of dollars it's how many people can I influence? And that's why getting my book out is going to be so important. And by the way, if any listeners want to be part of my book, I'm looking for stories, great sales stories, what you learn the most from, and funny sales stories. So please send them over. I'd love to include you. The other thing you talked about was confidence. And I I almost chuckled to myself because I think about if you were talking to me as somebody – maybe 15, 16, 17, you would have found a shy, insecure person who would never even do what I'm doing right now, nor would I love doing the speaking engagements that I do. And I think a lot of it comes down to what's between your two ears. And And as Ford said, if you think you can or can't, you're right. And a lot of it does come down to confidence. And there's two particular stories of mine that... I almost failed in sales, and I remember at ADP, one of the things that, you know, I'll never forget and has helped me help other people is my one-year anniversary, I was sticking up the joint, and we had weekly quotas. Every week, we had to stand up in front of everybody else and say what we sold. If we didn't sell anything, we had to say pass. They put a big zero up on the screen. They stack ranked you week to date, month to date, quarter date. And I wasn't doing well. And I was like dreaming about making sales, getting in early and not successful. And my one year anniversary, I walked into my boss's office and I quit. I got a job with Donnelly Directory and I convinced myself since I knew how to draw, I was going to design Yellow Page ads. And my boss at the time, Next to my parents probably had the single most influence on my working world and said to me, Lisa, you're making a huge mistake. Donnelly is not the place to go. I'll make you a deal. You stick around three more months. If you're not successful, I'll help you find a job. And then he gave me the best piece of advice, bar none, that I've ever gotten in sales, which is stop worrying about the results so much. Focus on doing the right number of the right activities right. And I did. I went pedal of the metal. I went from I got to get this sale to I don't care if I get this sale because my boss is going to help me find a job in three months. And lo and behold, I started selling like a crazy woman and finishing the top five mm-hmm. percent of 2,000 people that year. But I wasn't any different. It was just the way I looked at things and my confidence level. And I look at sales, and I often say it's the line in the sand that makes the difference between those people that are successful in sales and not successful. So a lot of people have bad connotations as salespeople. They think about car salesmen. people, pushy, obnoxious all those bad connotations, and none of us want to be that. So what happens is we back totally off of the line, and we don't get anywhere close to the line. And I see it when it comes to confidence all the time. I say to people, never cross that line, but we got to get up there. So how does that manifest itself in sales? I might not ask the questions that I should be asking. I might not set the fine next steps. I might not ask for the business. So, again, getting back to a customized approach, we've got to figure out is it filling the pipeline, is it process, or is it what's between the two ears? And often, if we could figure out whether it's attitude, confidence, motivation, we could figure out how we're going to truly help out.
1: You know, that's really, that brought up a memory. Uh, When, uh, after I had succeeded a little bit in that job, I told you about earlier, I became a field manager, which means that I get keys to a van, and I have to give out territories, and I have to draw the maps, and I have to make sure everybody's motivated to go out and do really great things, raise a lot of money. And I could start to tell, and so my new group was not just the whole team it was my, my main group was the other field managers and we'd have separate meetings and talk about what we could do to make our teams better to, to make them perform better we all started noticing that we had to drive these locations so we were in downtown DC and we'd have to go to Chevy Chase Maryland and places like that pretty far out stuff sometimes it would take an hour and a half some places were two hours and in that time you could tell how your night was going to go as a field manager I was responsible for my own numbers plus the numbers of the whole team that was in the van with me. And I had to answer to a whole new, you know, set of questions, like how's your whole team doing? And I could tell how I was going to do that night based on the conversation on the way over there that they were all having in the car behind me. (laughs) And if it was really negative, if it was really down, something, somebody, and I could watch how one person's energy could drag the rest of them with them. Like, everybody bought, is ready to go, and they're fired up and everything, and then this other person gets in the car, and it's their energy. They don't even have to say anything. Just their energy starts affecting everyone else. And if you didn't get that turned around by the time you got the Chevy Chase and these great, big, beautiful, rich neighborhoods and everything, uh, you're going to send a whole bunch of eors out into the field, and they're, you're going to burn all the turf, and they're not going to make any connections with any people And it really, when you said it was just a flick of like a flick of a switch, is what I imagine is this the difference between how you feel about what you're doing uh, is everything like nothing changed for you except that he said he was going to get you a job if you needed one in three months, and it took all the pressure off, and then you stopped focusing on standing up in front of everybody, and that I mean it's kind of ironic that he said that, and then the company's policy is to shame everybody, (laughs) you know, when they don't have. It, you know, the numbers and everything, but, you know, there's multiple layers to that, and maybe they needed to have that in place so people did realize at the bottom, at the end of the day, the numbers really do matter, and so we're going through this process, but let me pull you aside and tell you how this really works, and that's kind of what he did for you, isn't it?
0: It absolutely is, but the other thing is, if we keep the bottom 20% of a sales force stagnant, 15%, 20%, then we tell what, then we're sending out a message that poor performance is acceptable. So I am mm-hmm. a big believer in performance improvement plans, working with people. Because if my manager didn't take interest in me at the time, I don't know where I would have landed. I might have had a very successful career over at Donnelly, but my my life trajectory would have been very different. So you oh, know, yeah. it is really understanding you know with the different people that we work with how can we make an impact for them and how can we you know how can we figure out whether it's on a team or a uh, individual basis there's another guy that i was working with and basically he start he um worked with a CEO peer group organization and then went out on his own. And he is amazing. He's got an amazing mind. And when I talked to him, I realized that he could use an extra step in this process. And I don't really need to get into details about it, but we added one little step and he's at the point where he can't have any more business. He's like at capacity. So it's really interesting to try to figure that out. And then the other thing that, um, you know, I, I guess you could tell I'm a pretty upbeat personality. And I figure if my dad didn't complain, I don't have too much to complain about. So I've been called in a positive and sometimes negative way, Little Miss Mary Sunshine. But I could almost figure out the positives in any negative situation. But I also am about getting the most out of everything, getting the most out of my day, getting the most out of every interaction, getting the most out of every meeting, getting the most out of my life. And I have a concept called squeeze the lemon. And it's really not about making lemonade out of lemons. It's how do I get the most out of everything? How do I squeeze as much juice? So in the business development area, you might think about you have a meeting with your customer or your client. What can you get out of that meeting? You could get out what they love about you. You could get out if they don't love something because it's a lot easier to keep an existing customer than to get a new one. If they start saying they love you, it could turn into a LinkedIn recommendation, a testimonial, maybe a referral. Maybe you could use them as a reference. Maybe you find out some other associations they belong to. Maybe if you're a banker, you find out who their accountant and their attorney is, and you network with them. There's so much we can get out of an interaction, and again, it goes to that word I love being purposeful. But the other word that goes along with that is accomplishment, and when we're sales or business development the most valuable resource we have other than our relationships is our time and how do we maximize the time during the day and all our efforts to make sure we're getting the biggest bang for the buck and again that goes back to having well-defined game plans with smart activity and result goals that get measured and then you redefine based upon where you're getting the biggest bang for the buck.
1: For our listeners, uh, what you're hearing about here is just oodles and oodles of layers of layers of leverage. That lemon thing that you talked about is basically using all the leverage to get every single thing. And Because when you're in a situation, you're in the best position to do more than if you burn that situation. You only get a quarter out of it that you could and run on to the next thing starting essentially from zero again, having to build up all that energy again to get to that sweet spot again, only to let most of the value of it go because you're not thinking in terms of squeezing that lemon, right? And it's a leverage tactic. And it sounds like you're just an uber leveragist because you do it with everything that you described today. You you do that everywhere, but the thing is, that's where your efficiency comes from. That's where a, a lot less stressful of, a, of an environment that you live in, uh, because once you find yourself, I have arrived at a situation where there's a multiple opportunities, I'm going to sit here and take advantage of every single one and maximize where I'm at rather than go back out and, and start the whole process again or some amalgam of those kinds of situations. So I dub the uber-leveragists today. <laughs> oh, I,
0: I am honored with that title. I really am. And I do believe in it. And I'm also a big believer in tools. So although we don't have to script everything out, we developed something called a client visit checklist. We also developed something called a networking visit checklist that is a comprehensive list of everything that we might be able to get out of these interactions. It's not necessarily meant to be linear and it's not necessarily meant to be comprehensive within one meeting, but it's meant to be something that you could look at when you're pre-call planning for your appointments and say, "Ooh, what would I love to get out of this conversation and what would I like to accomplish? So let's say I'm looking for LinkedIn recommendations and I think that they're huge. You know, if they start saying everything that they love about you, see if you could get a LinkedIn recommendation or if they start saying they love um, you know, all the work that you've done, you might say, oh, my God, that makes me feel so great. Can I ask you a huge favor? Looking at back upon, I've set some high goals for myself, looking back upon the past couple of years, a lot of my business has come from my happy customers, just like yourself referring me over to some other business owners that I might be able to help with their sales associates. Do you know of anybody it might make sense for me to have a conversation with that I might be able to help out? You know, just lobbing that out there and in a nice way. If they say no, then there's certainly ways you could um, ask them in different ways and get a little bit more specific. But how many times does that opportunity come up and we don't even take advantage of it?
1: And people just don't seem to say no to those things as often as I think people who haven't done that imagine that they do, right? I mean, it's just not – you know how to take the – temperature of a room, so you're not going to ask somebody for something you don't think that they can easily do most of the time, right, unless, I mean, like, everything has to add up, the math has to add up, so, I mean, your close rate on such simple asks must be close to 100%, right?
0: You know, it it, it, it takes follow-up so I don't always get the referrals right away. But, you know, I have a printing company that I'm working with. The guy asked his client for a referral and just landed a $100,000 piece of business, and he was not up against anybody else. There are certain layups that we could get. And you know what? It's just as if we all walk out from our business tonight, and there's a $100 bill sitting in the middle of the road. You look around. It does not belong to anyone. How many of us are going to walk over that? We're going to mostly pick up, I'll pick up the 50, the 20, the 10. I'll always go down to a shiny penny, to be quite honest with you. But how many times in the business world or in our life do we walk over opportunities and forget to pick it up and forget to take advantage of the situation and, as you call it, leverage the situation in an authentic, nice way, you know, it's all about because people like working with people, we have to use humor, we have to be real, and if, if we understand that with our network, it's all about giving and not what we get back, then you could create a strong network of people that really feel comfortable and confident about referring you to other people.
1: You guys can learn more about Lisa and her company, Business Development University, at businessdevelopmentuniversity.com. You can check out all kinds of the public workshops. I think our, our producers sent us like three or four different links um, they will be included here wherever you're listening to this, uh, just below where you're listening to this typically. Um, but just check out Business Development University and click on Public Workshops. Is there anything else, Lisa, you would like to uh, refer people to when they come to your site?
0: We also have BD utensils that have all of our tools. So any of the tools that I mentioned today that you might like to get a copy of, feel free to go and get, take advantage of the BVU utensils. And if I could help you personally and you want to just have a little powwow to see if I might have some ideas for you or your business, don't hesitate to reach out to me.
1: Lisa, thanks so much for being on Leverage Masters. This was really, really fun. Thanks so much.
0: I appreciate the opportunity. Great selling, everybody.
2: Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> and let me just sum up everything you said today with one line. What Lisa's really talking about is what I call serving while strategically monetizing. And that's what it's all about, guys. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Thanks again, Lisa. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much.